welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 21st of October 2012, entitled Strange People in Strange Places, and the Bible reading is taken from Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 to 23. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word from Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Father, we thank you again this evening for the time that we can have to share together. We do pray, Lord, from the depths of our heart, Lord, that you'll take that from your word that needs to be spoken this evening by the power of your spirit that you would speak to each heart. We give you all the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. I'm getting old. Was it last week or the week before that we talked about strange people? Last week, uh, I was working on both of these uh, sermons simultaneously, and uh, I was thinking it was last week, but I wanted to be sure. And uh, so if you weren't here last week, we talked about strange people, and that uh, if, uh, if you're a child of God, that you're a strange person. And, uh, and of course, as a strange person, uh, there's a lot of reasons for you to be strange. Uh, but carrying on with, uh, with the thought this evening, uh, we still want to keep those strange people in mind, but strange people in strange places. Um, in the closing of his letter to the church at Philippi here, uh, Paul is coming to a close here of this, of this letter, and you know, he's, he's commending them and, and thanking them for their generosity. Uh, they've obviously been a very giving people to him uh, as he has been out trying to, to minister to, uh, to others. Um, and, of course, that's why that to sometimes to, to see the full context, of course, I guess that uh, verse 19 is one of those great verses in the Word of God that many people memorize and hold on to because the promise is just so grand, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, it's in connection with them giving to him that he's making this. As we know from what he said there in in, in verse 16 about it being an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable well-pleasing to God. So we know that, if not all, at least some of their giving to him 
had been sacrificial. It's something that they hadn't been able to give from abundance, but they had done it sacrificially. But though they had given sacrificially, and he was thankful that he said, you know, all of his needs had been met. Uh, it was amazing. You know, God had taken care of everything uh, that, uh, that he needed to take care of for him. Uh, but they had given sacrificially so that, uh, that he could have his needs met, so that he could minister for the Lord. But in a lot of that, they didn't need to worry about their own needs being met uh, because God would surely meet all their needs, he said. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Um, their needs being met, in other words, they, they weren't dependent upon what they had or didn't have. Uh, it wasn't even dependent upon what anyone else around them might have or be able to do to, to help meet those needs. Uh, their dependence was solely upon God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, their needs being met were based entirely upon what God had done and what God had, and it was based upon their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's talking to those that belong to Christ here. And those that belong to Christ, they need not worry about their needs being met. Even if they have maybe given when they did have needs because of the needs of others, what's the Bible say? Give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, the Bible says. Uh, it, it's, it's hard for us a lot of times because the principles of God just make absolutely no sense to the world whatsoever. Um, stuff like that sounds like that, uh, you know, you're just talking about pie in the sky or something. But Paul is reminding these people in this church, hey, I know. I know it's been hard for you sometimes. I know you've given sacrificially in order that my needs might be met. But listen, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Now, he also, of course, says, by Christ Jesus. Uh, and that's, that's where all of our needs are met. <laughs> uh, not only when we come to him for salvation that our that our sins can be forgiven, uh, but forever and ever. Uh, through Christ, our needs are met. And of course, as he goes on there, he says, uh, but my God shall supply all your riches, so shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. That's what we talked about last Sunday morning, isn't it? Uh, our focus our focus as a church has got to be upon not what it makes me feel like, not what's good and what's bad as far as I'm concerned, not whether it's what I want or don't want, but it's the focus is upon does it glorify God? Is it for his glory? And we looked at many things concerning that, and of course, that's what Paul is pointing to here, that it was it's all for God's glory. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Through this process, in other words, 
of you taking and you seeing that I had needs and you giving to my needs so that I could go and minister to others. And then God, even though you're giving sacrificially, seeing God be able to meet all of your needs, not based upon the economy, not based upon what politicians are in office, not based upon what anybody can do except God through Jesus Christ. All of your needs will be met. And he says, that's going to glorify God. He's the one that's going to get the glory for all of that. And then, of course, that last word, now unto God and our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's it. That's the end of it. But then, you know, just like you, oh, there's something else. Sometimes we put those little PSs at the end of a letter, a postscript. Well, Paul says amen, but then he's got a postscript here that sometimes doesn't really seem of a whole lot of importance. He says, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And again, amen. So he gives this postscript, and it's, it's these verses that I want to just draw our attention to for a few moments. And I would wonder if I were to ask you the question, have you ever seen anything that when you saw it, you maybe, it was there and your eyes took it in and, and, and all of a sudden you took a second look because it just didn't fit. That was not what you were supposed to be seeing in that particular place. You know, sometimes you can see strange things in strange places that just don't fit. Uh, I was going to this afternoon, and I got tied up and couldn't. I, I had a couple of photos picked out that I was going to show to you. You know, there's some strange things in this world, things that you look at and you say, what in the world is that doing there? That's just not where you would expect it to be. Well, I want you to keep that in mind as we, as we look at these verses. Because first of all, what he says here in verse 21 is, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, salute every saint. Paul could have said, salute all the saints, instead of salute every saint. He could have said, just salute all the saints. And of course, that would certainly have been correct, but of course, that would have been a much more general term. Just, just greet all the saints everywhere in all the world. But instead, he uses these term, salute every saint. He makes it more individual. He uses this individualistic term. It places more emphasis upon the importance of each and every individual saint rather than just all of them in general. You know, it's kind of like we can pray for everybody in general. There's nothing wrong with that. But we can pray more specifically when we know that you have a need and you have a need and you have a need and we can pray specifically for those individuals, for what they need. And, and this, is, I believe, is the message that through the Holy Spirit that he's trying to get across to us through Paul here. He wants us to remember that each individual is worthy of our concern, is worthy of our attention. Greet each and every one of them. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. What's a saint? I guess that many times a, 
Uh, as we look, we often see that the word is used uh, in reference to those that have already departed this life. Well, I'm, I'm not real interested in being one of those quite yet tonight, uh, but that's how it's used many times in its uh, official sense by some. Uh, a person has to die before they can reach the rank of saint. Uh, the title is reserved from some church or denomination to to canonize some, somebody, and maybe it's because of their uh, their uh, their simpleness, the the humbleness that they've lived in life, uh, the solitude or whatever. But it's a man-made thing. Man decides that this person deserves to have the title of saint, but that's not the basis of what a saint is in God's word. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, there's the Apostle Paul, the same one that's writing this letter here to the church at Philippi. He uses that same title when he writes to Rome and when he writes to Ephesus. Uh, he uses it when speaking of those that are the children of God, those that have been born again, that have been washed in the blood, those that John told us back when he first began those that have received uh, him, uh, they can be called the sons of God. And so as we look scripturally, uh, the term saint is anyone that is genuinely part of God's family because God sees them in Christ. Uh, that's what we've just seen there. And, and of course, he brings that out in the last part when he says, the brethren which are with me greet you. We don't know who all that included. We know at least Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he speaks of others that were there uh, in, in, in Rome with him at the time that, uh, that were proclaiming the gospel. So after encouraging these Philippians to, to give their attention to every saint, to every child of God, to everybody that, uh, that, that is one of God's children out there, he points out that these others that cared for and therefore sent their greetings to this group at, at Philippi, uh, that they were also, they were, they were concerned about them. They were thinking about them, and they were sending their greetings to them. And he said in verse 22, all the saints salute you. There's that, that general sense. All the saints in Rome, all of them that were there with Paul. Uh, now, he's been more specific, those that were with him, but not just them, all the saints in Rome, he says, uh, uh, they're there. Uh, but then he says, chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. You see, he's, he's encouraged them to, to have each and every individual saint, every child of God, uh, in their concern and in their greetings. But then he goes on to point out that those that were there ministering with him and, 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 and all the saints that, uh, uh, that were there in Rome with them, they, they all send their greetings, their concern to the church at Philippi, but then especially, chiefly, especially they that are Caesar's household. Now, I want you to think about that a moment. You know, oftentimes we can, we can read over these things and we can just kind of pass on and, and, and not really give them a second thought, but... Folks, that's quite a striking statement if we really let it dawn on us. You see, in a number of scriptures, we read about 
saints being in wrong places and, and that we should be careful where we are and, and, and we can be caught in the wrong place. But there's nothing wrong with these saints being in Caesar's palace. But it was strange. It was one of those things that you see and you say, well, that's a strange place to see that. That's not where you would expect to see them. Why is that, preacher? Well, for a lot of reasons, but it was strange in a wonderful kind of way, not in a, not in a bad way. Um, you know, it was probably one of the most unlikely places that you could have found on planet Earth that you'd expect to find a saint, a born-again child of God at the time that Paul was writing this. You know, historians tell us that the Roman civilization 2,000 years ago at that time, that it literally was characterized by, I quote, heartless cruelty and indescribable corruption. That's how they were recognized. Rome was known as a veritable cesspool of sin, of iniquity. We find that some writers say that the horror and degradation that abounded, has rarely been seen or equaled any time in the history of mankind. He says here, they that are of the household of Caesar, they that are of Caesar's household. Now, who was this Caesar that he was talking about? Well, his full name was Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus. How'd you like that for a tag to have to sign every time you signed your name? Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, most commonly known as Nero. Nero. Surely that name rings a bell with all of us. Nero was only 17 years of age when he came to the throne. 13th of October in the year 54 A.D. And he reigned until the 9th of June in 68 A.D. Now, if you've got a Bible that gives you some inclination, it tells us that this letter was being written about 64 A.D. This is the Caesar that he's talking about. This is the household that they come. Now, I want you to know something. Nero had quite a reputation. We find that it's not something that we want to spend. You can go read and read and read, but I give you just a taste. He was known as a thief, a murderer, a liar, a coward, a drunkard, a glutton. He was known to be incestuous and so utterly depraved that even the pagans of his day, they used to speak of him by using the term that he was a mixture of blood and mud. They thought a lot of him. Interesting enough, when you really read about this man, he was quite popular amongst the average people because he played to their desires. This same Nero, he was suspect. Now, it's like most of the times, many of the things are never proven, <laughs> but he was suspect to at least being party to if not responsible for, in helping his mother in the poisoning of Claudius, who he took the throne from, 
Claudius was the one that had adopted Nero. Nero's dad had died when he was about two years old, and he was, he was well, Nero was a chip off the old block, let's put it that way. <laughs> but we find that Claudius had then married Nero's mother. And when he did that, he actually had adopted Nero, even though, again, now I think it was about his, at least his third marriage, and even though he had a natural-born son, uh, Nero was older. And so when he officially adopted him, it naturally made Nero the one that was going to be heir to the throne. Now, later on, it's almost certain that Nero's the one that poisoned that younger brother <laughs> when his mom tried to get him to the throne in, in, in Nero's place. Uh, and of course, then he, he married his sister, who was his uh, stepsister, if you would, uh, that became his, uh, his wife. Of course, then he ended up uh, beating her and, and brutally treating her and finally uh, had her assassinated before the whole crowd. Uh, it's reckoned that he was the one that actually had his own mother poisoned because in the beginning she was the one that had all the influence on his life and, and she, had, she was such a controlling figure. But then when he started pushing her aside and she started trying to get the younger brother on the throne, then he first killed the younger brother, and then later took care of his mom as well. Uh, he was quite a character. Um, his second wife uh, said that he kicked her to death, uh, just literally beat her to death. Um, he ordered the death of many of the greatest uh, minds of his, uh, his day. Um, and of course, most all of us remember at least reading about in history the burning of Rome. Uh, when Rome was burnt, and uh, Nero was known as uh, the emperor that fiddled while Rome burned. Uh, most people believed he actually set that fire himself uh, in order to burn down Rome uh, because of what he was wanting to build for himself uh, in, the, uh, in the place of it. Uh, there's all kind of things that we could read about this man, but what I want you to really realize, it's said that before he was 30 years old that uh, he was so corrupted that he was so stained through and through uh, that there probably wasn't a crime or a cruelty that he hadn't committed sometime in his life. Um, you see, there aren't many people that carry quite the reputation that this Caesar carried, that Nero carried. Now, I want you to stop and think. That kind of an atmosphere to live in as a Christian these were the ones that were sending their greetings to the church at Philippi. And you know what? He liked Christians so good. He was one of the first persecutors of Christians that began to put Christians to death because of their faith. But he liked to do it so much and in such a way that one of the things he's reputed for is he used to take these Christians that had been captured and then he would set them in his garden. And he would set them alight. And he would use them as the lamps to light his garden at night. The Christians that had been captured. You see, when Paul's writing to the church of Philippi, people that were out of that guy's household were sending their concern, their greetings to the church at Philippi. I, you know, we read through these verses and I don't... I, I'd hate to try to count how many times that I read them through my life without, without giving a whole lot of thought 
to just what Paul was saying to them here. Here are people that are living in that kind of an environment. And yet they're sending openly their concern, their greetings to this church at Philippi. There's a couple of things I think that we can gain from that when we begin to realize what those simple words in the Word of God really, really are saying to us. First, I think it tells us that God can make saints out of the most unlikely material in the world. God can make a saint, not the church, not somebody that decides that because of they did this or did that, that they deserve to be a saint. God makes a saint. And he makes those saints out of the most unlikely material, Nero. Now he would have had a large household. We're talking about the emperor of Rome. And you can just begin down the list. He'd have probably had just about any occupation that you can imagine that would have taken care of those jobs within the palace. Could probably ask each one of you here this evening, what's your occupation? What do you do? There'd have probably been somebody in Nero's household in that palace that would have done something, if not exactly, something similar to what each of you do this evening. I mean, they would have ranged from princes and royalty right down to the slaves and the stable hands. We find that they would have come from some of the most privileged positions to some of the most underprivileged in the world. Many of these people would have had every opportunity of the greatest education of their days, and yet many of them would have been uneducated, illiterate. They were living in probably the most horrendously corrupted surroundings that they could possibly have lived in. And yet the grace of God reached down amidst all of that and triumphed over it. And obviously, many of them come to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The people of this household had been transformed from sinners into saints. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of Jesus with the man at the tombs that's recorded back in Mark chapter 5. How that here he was. I mean, as derelict as you could get, he was literally cutting himself and marking himself. He was possessed and controlled by these demons. Nobody thought he had a chance. Everybody. I mean, he's just a madman. He's out there living in the cemetery. But when he met Jesus, he was suddenly a new man, wasn't he? He couldn't have gotten any lower. He couldn't have been thought any less of. When we're talking about this household of Caesar, descending their concern, their greeting, back to the church at Philippi. It's probably the least likely place in all the world that you would think of a Christian coming from, but God makes saints out of the most unlikely material. Sometimes the people that you would think had the least chance, we find that you know, God in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, 
verses 27 to 29, where God says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. <laughs> you know, we can all put ourselves there, folks. I'm probably the most unlikely candidate. I can't figure out why in the world. You know, we say this, but I, I, I couldn't be more serious. I can't figure out why in the world that God loved me enough that he wanted to save me. I, I probably more than anybody in the world, can't figure out why that, that, that God wanted to give me the privilege to even attempt to try to stand and preach his word. I don't understand it. But it just shows me how great his love is. I want you to grasp and understand. These people, these saints that were sending their greetings to this church, well, they had become saints out of some of the most unlikely material from some of the most unlikely places of their day. God can make saints out of the most unlikely material. And secondly, God can make himself known in the most unlikely places. <laughs> you know, there's some things you just don't expect to hear about certain things. Well, God has his witnesses. And I want to tell you something. God can place his witnesses anywhere that he wants to. <coughs> We might think of certain people. We might think of the places that they're in. We might think, well, there's no way that they can ever get saved there. I mean, just look where they are. Look at the sin that's around them. Look at the kind of people that's around them. And we might truly feel completely hopeless. The truth is, God can put his witnesses anywhere that he wants to. Even in the most unlikely place of that day, God had obviously put witnesses in the paths of these people that were in Nero's household. If you've ever traveled very much at all, you'll find that almost in every walk of life, anywhere that you go, one of the most amazing things, so you can bump into a brother or sister in Christ, Somebody else that, that loves the Lord. I mean, they may come from a background that you know nothing about. They may come from a church that's far from anything that you've ever experienced. They may come from a lifestyle that is one that you find tough to understand, let alone experience. But they're there. People of rank and distinction that are sometimes amazing. You know, that person's there. They're a Christian. Well, I wouldn't expect it to, to find a Christian there in that position down to the most humble, ordinary people that you could ever meet on the face of the earth. God still has needs today, just as he did in Nero's household. 
Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I mean, you start to comprehend who would have had the courage to witness to anybody in Nero's household knowing that they could end up being a human candle. <laughs> Who would have had this courage to do that? And yet, God had people there. I'm sure Paul himself had witnessed to some of them, but he wasn't the only one preaching the gospel in his day. You know, God has always had people. We could look back and we could read from God's word. I, I won't. <laughs> I could get going. You know, we could look back at Joseph. <laughs> look at what his brothers did to him. Look at what they meant to do to him. But look at what God did with Joseph. And when he faced those brothers again one day, and he looked them straight in the eye. <laughs> you meant it for bad. You meant it for harm. You meant it to my detriment. But God meant it for good. <laughs> Folks, sometimes, I don't know if any of us, if it's even possible for us, to end up in a place like these Christians were in that were in Nero's household. Matter of fact, I don't, I don't think we can even begin to comprehend the kind of place that they were living in, the kind of person that they were working for. Truth is, God got to them. We might end up in places sometimes we think, this can't be good. <laughs> this can't be. There's no way this can be right. You know, Joseph went through a lot before he became the prime minister, didn't he? <laughs> Joseph went through a lot. But did God use him? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. God used him tremendously. Nehemiah, Daniel, we could go right through the Bible. We could see how that, man, God sometimes... Sometimes in the most unlikely place, when it seems like there's absolutely no hope and everything that's bad is there, and then bang, there's one of God's children, one of God's people to make all the difference in the world. Do we stop sometimes, I wonder? You know, so many times the problem is even in our society, which couldn't even be compared to, to Nero's household. <laughs> but even in our society, sometimes we just don't want to stand out. We don't want to be called out. You know, we know we love God. We know we, we, we don't want to just deny him or anything like that. You know, sometimes the Bible calls us his witness. I've said this before, but it's been a long time back, you know, Think about that. Think about that. It's Jesus Christ that's on trial. The world's the one that's saying he's not who he says he is. He's not the son of God. He's not God incarnate. He was just another man. Some might even go as far as to say he was a, a good man or a prophet. But he wasn't God. Jesus says... Brother Steve, will you take the witness stand? Will you stand up and be a witness to Jesus Christ really is who he says he is? Will you witness on his behalf of what he's done in your life, of how he's changed you, of what he's done for you? You know, this evening, do we realize what a privilege that it is 
to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. To be able to say, this is Jesus. This is who he is. This is what he's done for me personally in my life. Do we remember in those moments what a glorious privilege that it is? He calls us his ambassadors, his personal representatives on this earth. How are we representing him? You know, sometimes it may not be Nero's household, but it might be some pretty unlikely places. It might seem like a strange place to be witnessing for Jesus, <laughs> but that's the way God works. God, when he works, he can make saints out of the most unlikely material. You may not think that he's going to work in that life. No way. There's no life that's beyond him. And he can make himself known in the most unlikely places with some of the most unlikely people. <laughs> the thing is, is even in the most unlikely places, what might seem like a strange place, Lord, surely you don't want me to be a witness for you here. Of course, there are some places that Christians ought not to be. There's some things that Christians ought not to be involved in. There's some associations that we ought not to keep. We talked about all that when we talked about the, the strange people called Christians. And we talked about that coming out from amongst them and being separate, but we also talked about the fact of how God places you there sometimes. What's your motives? Are you trying to blend in with them? Are you trying to fit in with the crowd? Or are you being like Jesus when he went to those unlikely? Some of them criticized Jesus for the crowds he hung out with for some of the places he went. <coughs> he wasn't there to blend in. Oh, he was there to show his love. He was there to make a difference in their lives. You know, we need to be amongst the people if we're going to make a difference in people's lives. I don't really know. I, I've tried to figure a few times. I think I mentioned last week, if that's when I preached it. You know, I, I've never really had a desire to, uh, to be a monk in a monastery up on the top of some mountain somewhere with nobody around. That's just not me. Now, I guess there's some peace and solitude there somewhere. There might be a day or two when I might like something like that for a day or two. That's not what I would call living. The truth is, we are here in a society of people, and most of the people around us are on their way to hell. Most of the people around us, they don't know Jesus Christ. They don't have life eternal. We're the ones that God has placed there. They might be unlikely places. They might seem like a strange place to witness. But folks, God wants some strange people in some strange places today. God wants those people that are strange for all those reasons that we talked about. And he wants them in some strange places. You see, God wants you. You're strange. <laughs> He wants you as one of his strange people called a Christian. 
He wants you to be a witness for him somewhere right now. And that somewhere might be a very unlikely place. It might be a strange place. It may not seem like where he would want you. Maybe maybe God wants to put you in the emperor's palace. <laughs> maybe he wants to put you in the office where you work or the home where you live. You know, I don't want to see any of you go. God may want to put one of you here this evening in Africa or India or Southeast Asia or South America might seem like a pretty unlikely place for you to spend the rest of your life. I never really had any dreams about spending the rest of my life in Birmingham, folks. <laughs> God put me in a pretty unlikely place. Matter of fact, I mean, I, I, the only thing I knew of Birmingham before I came here to live was when I passed through one time on my way from, from Milton Hall, Suffolk to Liverpool. <laughs> The motorway just happened to pass through this way, and that was all I knew of it. It wouldn't have been somewhere that I would have thought. Thing is, I can promise you, God has a place for you. Right now, God wants you, unquestionably, if you belong to him, he wants you to be his witness. He wants you to be his representative where you are, where he's placed you. And if you think it's hard to witness for him right there where he's put you, maybe just give a thought to those saints in Caesar's household. <laughs> think about those that were in Nero's household. Think about it, what it meant for them to be a Christian where they were. How hard would it be if you were taking the chance of becoming a human torch for your faith. <laughs> you see, folks, I'm serious. It's time we all got serious. It's time we realize God wants some strange people in some strange places. And what was it, you know, preached some time back about for such a time as this? God has you right now on this planet at this time in this place for a reason. We don't, we shouldn't be disturbed and upset because that we're in an unbelieving world, because that most of the people around us don't believe it and they think we're strange because we do. You see, you're one of God's saints. You're one of those strange people in this world. It shouldn't disturb you where you are. But boy, you ought to be being a disturbance to the lost world and the devil. We ought to be making a difference. They ought to know that we're around. I wonder, is our witness a a live witness right where the Lord's placed us. Remember what Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, and ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost 
part of the earth where God's placed you, where God's put you. You see, I think that those that realize that they've been forgiven much, those that realize just what they've really been saved from. We toss the word around about being saved. Do we really think enough times about what it is that we've been saved from? You see, if we've been forgiven much and saved from much, I think that would somehow make us a bit more zealous, might make our witness a bit more radiant. Paul says that of all these saints in Rome, I mean, this, this is what got me. All the saints in Rome were sending their concern and greetings. But out of all those saints in Rome, especially, chiefly, those who belong to Caesar's household. I mean, whoa. They're more concerned about sending their greetings than all the other saints out there, and they're in the most unlikely place, in the strangest place that you could possibly think about finding a Christian. Maybe they realized, chiefly, especially, of all the saints, maybe they realized just what Jesus Christ had done for them. Maybe their faith was more vibrant because of the reality of what they were being saved from around them. You see, those strange people in that strange place called Caesar's household, they obviously had a deep sense of gratitude to God. They obviously had a real love for their brothers and sisters in Christ, even when they could have been feeling sorry for themselves, thinking that they were in worse state, in a worse place, having to put up more than any of those other people. And yet they especially wanted to send their greetings <laughs> to the church at Philippi. I'm going to give you this in closing. Gospel of Luke chapter 7. You know, Jesus was found in what might have seemed like some strange places sometimes too. Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading in verse 36. It says that one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, and she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, and the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. 
When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that said at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Now, boy, there's a lot of things that could be said about that passage. <laughs> all of these Pharisees, all these, you see the problem so many times. We can come up with all kind of reasons and excuses, maybe feel that we're too good or we should put ourselves in such an embarrassing situation, all these different things. But when we consider all that the Lord has done for us, all that he's still doing for us, I wonder, shouldn't we be willing to stop playing games and really give ourselves to him wholly? It's easy to talk it. It's easy to say it. But do we really mean it? Do we really mean it? Folks, we might be a strange people to those around us. And we might find ourselves in some strange places that just seems like that's not where a Christian ought to be witnessing. But I say this. I think if we just determine that if we make sure we're where he wants us and we make sure that whatever situation that we're in, that they're seeing Jesus, that's, that's all. That's what they need to see. They don't need to see how good we are. They don't need to see how religious we are. But they need Jesus. And if we're not going to stand up and witness for him, if we're not truly going to let him, you see, in whatever situation, I said this last week, whatever situation, the bracelets that people used to wear, what would Jesus do? Whether you like the bracelets or not, it's not a bad question. What would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus act? What would he answer? What would he say? What would he do? What would he wear? You know, we can go right down the list. If we can just determine, folks, will you really let God put you where he wants you? Quit trying to run your life yourself and let him do it for you. Man, there's no better place to be than right smack in the center of his will.
where he wants you to be. And wherever God places us, if we let Christ say, I mean, those especially that were of Caesar's household, the most unlikely place, we let God use us even in the most unlikely places. Father, thank you this evening. Thank you, Lord, for, Lord, is even just, I, I think, if in the depths of my heart that, Lord, whether Anybody else got anything from my ramblings this evening or not that, Lord, I was excited about what you showed me in these simple words of, wow, <laughs> these people were sending their greetings, their concern. And yet, look, of all the people in Rome, there couldn't have been a more unlikely place. <laughs> there couldn't have been a stranger place to see Christians. There couldn't have been any Christians anywhere that we're living in more diabolical conditions, working for a more evil person than what these Christians were. Father, I pray that you'd just use these simple things to speak to our hearts, to encourage, to let us realize, hey, <laughs> yeah, even me. God can use me, and he can use me anywhere he wants to. Help us, Lord. Help us to have that wonderful peace of knowing that we're right where you want us and we're what you want us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.